1: Welcome to Conversations About Divorce, I'm Mandy Walker. Today we're talking about paying for your child's college education after divorce. Last year, -year 21-year-old Caitlin Rishi took her divorced parents to court to force them to pay her college tuition, and she won. The judge ruled that of her $26,000 annual bill, Caitlin was to pay just over $9,000. Her dad was to pay 60% and her mom the rest. In the media reports on the case, the general public opinion was against Caitlin in support of her parents, arguing that Caitlin's parents had no obligation to pay for her college education and Caitlin just needed to get out and get a job. Caitlin's parents are appealing the decision. Now, while Caitlin's situation cannot be blindly applied to other families, it does highlight an often contentious area in divorce negotiations. And since there's almost always less money after divorce, Single parents are often faced with some very hard decisions around how much should they pay for their child's college education. Joining me now is Jamie Slabkey. Jamie is a financial advisor and certified divorce financial analyst with Raymond James Financial Services. Jamie has frequent conversations about saving and paying for college with her clients, whether they're married, getting divorced, or single parents. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you. And Jamie, let's just start off with talking about like what are some of the different philosophies or approaches to paying for college that you come across with parents?
0: I actually find that a lot of that depends on their own experience. I have some parents that will say, I worked my way through school and I'm better for it, so my kids can do the same thing. And then on the other side, sometimes literally on the other side of the parenting I have the parents saying, well, I worked my way through college and it was terrible and there's no way I'm doing that to my child. I'm going to pay for everything. And then there is everything in between. Um, I will pay for in-state, no room and board. If you want extra, you can go out and earn that. Or I have some that say I will just finance college all of the way and do everything we can to pay it off at some point.
1: And so, how did you if if you even have a husband and wife whose philosophies are very different like that, how do you um, reconcile that?
0: The best you can do is just try to find some sort of middle ground um, when I have the complete opposite sides of "I worked and they should work," and then the flip side of "I worked and they shouldn't. That's when I sort of try to do the the middle. you know let's let's fund some so they you know at least know during their school years, that college is an option, that you will help, but if they really want to, you know, hit it hard, go to a name brand Ivy League school, go to grad school, get a master's after that, that they then take some responsibility for themselves, and I find that sort of seems to appease both sides
1: on the parenting. Right, and when you have clients who maybe you advise them when they were married, but then they got divorced, and and they're separated now. Do you, is that, does that make it easier for parents to follow just follow their own philosophy without compromising? I actually find
0: it's a little harder um, because the the parents have now they have the guilt of my child is now a child of divorce. I should do everything I can, even if it's at my own detriment, to fund college, give them everything they want, make up for the fact that the family is broken. And all of those. And then you also have the fear of, can I pay my own bills? Can I put food on my own table? Um, I do see a lot of arguments about, um, well, if I'm paying child support, that covers college and you can pay all of college. And that's just, that's not how it works. And when you have these parents that just can't agree on finances anyway, it is the, the college finances that seem to continue on after the divorce is final. It's just one more way to... Argue about money to control about money to be worried about the money um, and sometimes I see people will just do exactly what you said and say you know when we were married we agreed to meet in the middle but I firmly believe Timmy can work his way through college so I'm not paying for any of it and it's just that's when you see the fears the control the panic start to rise up and then ultimately impact the kids
1: right and um- Gosh, there's so much in what you just said. I want to jump back to you said um, sometimes people want to pay for college from fear of um, because they think that they've harmed their child by getting divorced, but they want to do that at their own detriment. So there's always less money after divorce. And there's always a struggle with competing financial goals. What do you normally advise your clients on is, um, is it college savings versus um, paying down the mortgage, paying off debt, or saving for retirement?
0: Saving for retirement in addition to paying your current bills always needs to be the priority. And when I see clients get that sort of you know glaze in their eye of no, college is important, I always sort of come back to them with, well, what is more important? financing college and saving for retirement, because you cannot finance retirement, but you can finance an education, or sending your kid to college, having them graduate without debt, but then as they're newly married, having a family of their own, all of a sudden mom or dad comes knocking to live in the basement. And that seems to get through a lot of the but, but, but that a lot of clients have when we talk about education. There's the but I want to, but I need to, but I feel I should. Um, A really easy way to get through that is, you know, visualize the student loan payment versus moving into that basement.
1: Right. Uh, Do you think um, our philosophies or our our feelings about paying for college have have changed? I mean, I'm thinking back when my kids were just really young, um, the whole emphasis was starting to save for college. And I almost think that um, that was as, as every bit as important as saving for retirement.
0: It is important to save if you have the means to do so. It is not uh, worth it to save for something that can be financed, that can be, I mean, your, your kid can get grants, they can get scholarships, they can do work study, there's loans. When it comes to paying your mortgage now or paying your bills in retirement, you, there's really not a lot, if any, backup for you.
1: Right, right. And then in terms of, like, guiding your child on college, I think there's a lot that parents can do in terms of being smarter about helping your child to make the choice of where to go and really looking at, yeah, that it sounds like a great school, but that is a $40,000 a year school versus staying in state.
0: Right. And I've been doing this about 20 years, so I have seen a lot of my clients go through that transition of, okay, here's our four-year-old. Now he's 14. Now we're looking at colleges. Now he's 18 and he's going. And I do see so much of what the parents say to the kids along the way really help the child's expectations when it does come to college. Um, You know, I see it in my friends. I see it in my clients. They just have that, okay, well, you better get good grades if you want to go to a great school because we can only afford two years of this. Or, you know what, you focus on the grades. We've got college mostly covered. You just worry about being a kid and being you and being on the team and getting the grades and then we'll all figure out college together. So I think just having it be an open dialogue with your child, it's not some big secret that they're laying up awake in bed at night thinking, wow, you know, I would really like to apply to college or this college or that college, but I don't know if mom and dad can afford it. So I'm just not even going to ask, especially in the case of a divorce where they've probably heard mom and dad fighting over money. They don't want to be one additional problem, fear, issue, so I just think having that open dialogue helps the children not be disappointed, and it also helps them not have that fear that they are now adding to the financial trauma of the family through a divorce.
1: Mm, That's a great point, and I love that, um, having open dialogue and like early conversations about setting the expectation that you're going to college, but this is the money side of it, too we don't We're not very good about having transparent discussions about money, oh, I don't think we are
0: not at all and i've I've had clients I had one mother say to me, "Can I bring in my sixteen year old daughter because she just confessed she's lying awake at night, worrying I'm going to lose my job, and how are we going to eat and that so it, as adults, we have this thing of oh, they're just kids, they're having fun, they're just on their phone all the time. they don't really pick up on. The, the adult stuff when in fact they do. And that's where so much of how we deal with our finances as an adult come from. What did we hear as a child? What did we fear as a child? What did we try to do to help? Um, and as a child, you are not equipped to handle that. So that's why the open dialogue with mom and dad is so important to help them understand manage the expectations and get what they need that they can carry through the rest of their lives. As far as, Hey, it is okay to talk about money. It is okay to be informed, to have an opinion, to ask what I can do or not do.
1: Do you help your clients get over the guilt? Like, you know, after the divorce, the one of the parents comes in to you and says, you know, well, I hear you. I hear that I have to save for my retirement. But that means that I'm not going to be able to contribute as much to college. And that's a change in the philosophy. And I feel really guilty about that. What would you say to somebody in that situation? That
0: guilt is very personal and it's very real. And it's easy to say, you no, on paper, you should do this. You can finance this. You need to do that. It's very easy to sit there and say that. It's incredibly hard for a client to sit there and hear it um, and to get past that emotional guilt of, no, I've, you know, I've changed Christmases forever. We've changed where we live. We've changed everything. I can't take away college, too. And oftentimes I'll dig a little deeper and say, okay, well, when you were married, what was the plan? And a lot of times I see couples that when they were married, it was more of, oh, we'll figure out college when it comes. And then when they get divorced, it becomes this big, okay, we're going to save for college now and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I sort of have to ask them, well, why was it okay before to help to have the child contribute, to take out the loans, to You know, why was that okay when you were together and is it not okay now? And, you know, I am not a mental health professional, but it's just you sort of have to step away from the guilt and the emotion and just look at it logically. And sometimes I tell tell them, you know, well, what would your son or daughter say if I asked them right now what was more important, mom being happy or getting college paid for? And a lot of times they sort of look at me and say, wow, you know, you're, you're right. They are telling me they want to see me happy. They are telling me they want me home more, working less. They are willing to sacrifice certain things. They're willing to help out at home more. So I just, it's just sort of you have to see all sides. It's not just a head decision. It's not just a heart decision. But you can't ignore either of them while you're trying to make that
1: decision. Right. That's a good point. So, J- Jamie, when um, you see a situation where one parent doesn't – doesn't want to contribute or isn't able to contribute for college for whatever reason, do you ever run into the other parent trying to compensate for that and take on more of that responsibility?
0: I do see that as the initial knee jerk reaction of, well, if mom's not going to contribute, then I, dad, I'm just going to have to step up and do it all. And I see that turn into sometimes bitterness and it sort of, filters down to the kid of, well, you can't go there because mom's not helping out or dad doesn't want to pay for you to go there. So it, it really boils down to keeping the emotions out of the finance. And you can really only do what you can do. Um, a lot of people will say, well, that's not fair. And the answer is, I, I know, sorry, you can't force someone to pay for college in a divorce any more than you can force them to save for it or pay for it during a marriage.
1: I'm glad you raised that point because that was some of the comments that I read on Caitlin, on Caitlin Ritchie's case was that how can you force divorced parents to pay for college when parents who are married don't, uh, don't come under the same expectation or the same requirements?
0: exactly i mean you you cannot go into somebody's wallet and say you must do this for something that is considered an extra or a want like college Uh, it's not like child support where they say okay you have to pay this because it feeds your kids it clothes your kids when you get into college you get the well they're an adult they're not necessarily a dependent child do they have to go to college and yes of course college is very important and they probably most likely do have to But in the eyes of the courts, you can't say, no, you have to pay for this.
1: Jamie, thank you so much for sharing your insight with us today. Listeners, if you'd like to find out more about Jamie, please visit her website, jsladky.com. That's J-S-L-A-D-K-Y.com. And you've been listening to Jamie Sladky, who's with Raymond James Financial Services. Thank you very much, Jamie. Thank you, Mandy. I'm Mandy Walker. You can find out more about me at MandyWalker.com and at my blog, SinceMyDivorce.com. Joining us now to share another perspective on paying for your child's college education after divorce is Simon Moll. Simon is a retired family court magistrate and mediator. Welcome, Simon. Hi. Simon, what would you say is the most common mistake or disagreement that you see in terms of paying for college? I think it's actually uh, a topic that's really um,
2: not a frequent topic of disagreement um, in the sense that most of my couples are bargaining in the shadow of the law, as they say, and in at least the way the law is in Colorado, a parent cannot force or require the other to do um, support after um, emancipation. So I'm not so sure that I see arguments or even necessarily mistakes, but what I do see is um, couples being concerned about this. Um, very often, um, you know, I think uh, you know, one of them really values um, education more than the other um and so that can be a you know an issue for them
1: how do, how does that play out when you see one person valuing it differently than the other
2: it can play out in i think several ways i mean in a mediation setting um where people will trade one thing for another um you know maybe a parent does agree to um, put some money aside for for college expenses and costs, and maybe they were not so keen on doing that, but they get something in exchange from the other parent, um, and so that you know, at the end of the day, as is the goal for mediation, they they both get something they can live with. Um, so I think some agreements can get made that way.
1: So Simon, earlier you'd said a phrase in the shadow of the law. What what did you mean by that?
2: Well, it means I think that in all kinds of mediation, um, people are always looking over their shoulder, worrying about what the law might require or what a court might do. Um, you know, that's why they bring attorneys to our mediations because they want to be able to ask, um, you know, what the legal implications of what they're doing is. So, that's what I think is meant by the the shadow of the law and in divorce
1: mediation. Okay, so what I know of the law, certainly here where I live in Colorado, is that the courts here have no jurisdiction over college expenses until you actually put something into your settlement agreement, and then that opens the door to the courts. That, to me, seems like a double-edged sword.
2: I wouldn't really even necessarily think of it as a sword Um, I don't think it's there to hurt anybody again I should say that I'm a lawyer who's only licensed in Colorado so I can only be talking about um, Colorado things but I think it's best to think of this as a way to allow people to provide for their um, education, higher education and have some assurance that one side or the other will not get buyer's remorse at the end of the day um, so I don't really see that as a sword um, I think you know, we all hope that Once the deal's made, people will stick by it. This is a way to help people stick by that.
1: Well, I I think what I mean by that, what makes me nervous is when I see couples who have very young children, who may be like elementary school, and they're trying to figure out what to do, um, what to put in their agreements for college expenses. And I just think, well, you know, that is 15 years down the road, it's – it's like a lifetime away. How do you make commitments for fifteen years down the road, and to protect yourself for unforeseen possibilities?
2: And I think um, you know that's a very wise point. And you know I think the uh, reality of parenting plans in general is that after people are separated for a while. Um, they probably kind of work it out for themselves and don't come to, back to court too often um, and so I certainly can see the parents of very young children saying, wow, that's too speculative, way too far out in the future let's not um, let's not require ourselves to do this um, and that makes perfect sense I think for Parents of um, much older children, maybe where the parents themselves are a little bit older, and they've got fairly stable working histories, um, you know, maybe they want to do that. Um, and, but that's a different stage of their lives, and I, I think you know, people do need to do things that are that are right for them. Um, it is also, um, you know, it's contained within the child support statute um, the section on post-secondary education and I think the other thing to think about is that you know that fundamentally is a statute that is there to do things in the best interest of the children but it's modifiable when parents you know win the lottery get much better jobs get fired from jobs Um, support can be, um, changed.
1: Um, so you're saying that if you do put something in your agreement, just to make certain that it is modifiable in the future.
2: Well, I certainly think you could write that in, um, and, um, you know, make it very clear that you expect it to be modifiable. Like, uh, any other aspect of child support, um, there are some, and there are some limits on that. Um, but basically, it's a system that has people contributes in proportion to their income, um, and and so there's some built-in safeguards. But you know, taking your example. Um, the people who just feel that this is very, very speculative um, may want to think twice about doing this.
1: The other strategy I talk to clients about is to to separate the issue into saving for college and paying for college, because I think the two are very different. And And that makes some sense. Right, because I think it's easier for somebody to think um, with younger children, okay, I could put $50 a month away into some form of college savings account, and that's a, a different commitment than saying, I'll pay 50% of his college expenses, which is a big unknown in the future time. Right, yes. I have a, another question for you, Simon. What about, and here again in Colorado, child support ends at age 19, but a lot of our kids are 18 when they go off to college, so there may still be child support payments between the parents even when the um, children are in college. And do those payments go towards helping to pay for college, or what happens to child support when the kids are no longer in home at home?
2: So I think they're an awful lot, possibly the majority of cases, you know, particularly for couples who divorced when the kids are very young. By the time the children turn 19, 18, um, the parents have essentially done what we call parallel parenting. They've both figured it out. They've maybe gone mostly their own separate ways, but they've got some working relationship with each other. And I think we just never see those folks in the courts because they figure out how to live their life on their own. For the ones that fight... For the ones where everything is still really tense, Um, it is a change when a child is no longer resident with a parent. Um, I've seen things go a couple of different ways. I've I've seen um, parents agree to pay their shares of the child support to the child. Um, but that raises all sorts of questions like is a child responsible enough to take care of the money? Um, and we are talking child support here, not, um, college expenses, not tuition. Um, I have seen the other end of the spectrum. One parent say, no, like, uh, my child's not emancipated, um, and every college break, child comes home and eats me out of house and home. I need <laughs> child support, um, and I think a you know a court is going to listen to every case on its on its facts. Many courts send people to mediation these days, so people get you know given a a, a chance to try and work things out.
1: Right, and do you think that um, the courts are swayed by the fact that parents who are married? aren't forced to pay for college education and therefore it's unreasonable to expect parents who are divorced to pay?
2: I think this is simply a way for parents who've got shared values to put them in print. Um, parents have diverging views of on education and whether they share values at all sorts of stages, whether they get divorced or not. But the one thing I do know because I really did look at, you know, what happened to our our cases, and in in my court about seventy five percent of the people who got divorced with kids never ever came back to court. Um, and that's really quite remarkable if you think about it because It is. You know, people people chop and change jobs and you could see them coming back to modify child support. People divorce at all sorts of developmental stages for children, and um, you could see them coming back for that, yet remarkably few people come back, and I always used to tell parents there's no divorce police out there. I, I really do think, um, and this is a positive, hopeful thing. Um, I think many people do just find a working relationship and get themselves out of litigation in the court system
1: so what i'm hearing from that then is in the negotiation part of of the divorce it's going to be really helpful to address what you want to happen with college funding and college expenses but you're very optimistic that parents will be able to work it out given time after their divorce
2: I'll be doom and gloom for a moment. I mean, we do not get a lot of customer feedback in the courts. It could be that they don't come back to court because they hate the process so much they think we'll never ever go there again. Um, So I I don't want to be completely Pollyanna, but I, I think parents should think about college costs, and I think you came in with a kind of great example as to why they should think about Are they being really speculative? Is the the child really young? Do they want to tie themselves in uh, for many, many years? I think that's a a really important point to bring up.
1: Simon, what about the clients that come to you for mediation and they have young children? Do you ever raise the question of what they want to do with post-secondary school expenses? As a mediator, no, I don't. I mean, I'm really there to listen to the parents'
2: interests um I, I would say though that uh, moms especially do tend to raise the topic sometimes it uh comes and goes away very quickly um either because they think about how far in the future it is or, or the other parent is you know maybe much more uh, you know I'm an entrepreneur i you know, raise myself, didn't go through college and look how well I've done. Um, you know, sometimes that's why they're getting divorced. They have um, different values about how life should be run. So it, it comes up, but I wouldn't say it's a point of contention or, or really litigated contention.
1: Well, Simon, that's am um, really interested to hear that it's an issue that people – seem to be able to get resolved without going to court. So that surprises me. Is there anything else you'd like to add on college funding for us? I think that's probably about it. Go talk to a
2: lawyer, get your own legal advice. um, And, uh, you know, come to mediation as informed as you can make yourself. um, And see where things go.
1: Great. Simon, thank you so much for your insight. I think it is important for parents to think through all the potential consequences of their arrangements before they make a, a formal commitment. Simon is a divorce mediator. You can find out more about Simon at molmediation.com, and I recommend following his blog, Simon Says. Thank you for listening to Conversations About Divorce. I hope you'll join us again next time. I'm Mandy Walker